welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, Mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Welcome back to the AccuSprout Podcast. My name's Stacey Whitcomb, and I am your host. In today's episode, I am chatting with Kiki Toth. Kiki is the DEI specialist 
for Jane Electronic Health Records. We talk a little bit about why this is such an uncomfortable conversation to have for some people, myself included. I talk a little bit about my past and my upbringing and how I have fears around what's going to come out of my mouth, even though it's never truly intentional to hurt anybody. I just am always curious about what's bubbling underneath and what's been taught and what I need to unlearn and how to do that and how to um, act in ways that isn't going to hurt people. Some really big concerns that I have, especially in clinic, especially today, period. So we talk a lot about that and how to approach your own systems and self-awareness in a, in a kind and self-aware way. We also talk about what Kiki does for Jane and in their DEI training within their company. We chat a little bit about how to make sure that your clinic is a safe space for all people. And lastly, we share a bunch of resources with you so that you can continue the educational process and become a better human. So without further ado, here's the show. Welcome to the AccuSprout podcast, Kiki. I'm super excited to have you here and talking about DEI and Jane. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and such an honor to be invited on. Oh my gosh. No, this is, this is, um, this is, I feel just so incredibly important to talk about and I feel like, um, I'm sort of a new practitioner still, and I feel like I've sort of dropped the ball in this area mm. that I don't feel like I'm educated enough. And if I feel that way, then I know that there are so many people out mm. there. So I feel really, really grateful to have Jane as my sponsor, and also that they can just provide me with one of the most amazing teachers out there. So I'm super happy to have you here. Before we start, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you became the, tell me your title, <laughs> the DEI, right? Because I know you have a couple different things going on. So why don't you talk about that for a yes, minute? Yes, thank you so much. So my name's Kiki. I currently work at Jane as a product and DEI specialist. So I do hold other uh, roles or I've done other responsibilities at Jane before, but uh, through all of that, DEI has always been the one thing that stuck with me. So I was doing onboarding recently, um, but I'm actually pursuing a graduate program to shift into teaching. Uh, and so with that, DEI work has stayed with me in that process. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now at Jane, uh, in addition to just helping some of our amazing customers like yourself. So so what kind of training did you go through to become a DEI educator? It's a really good question. So there's a few avenues you could probably take to become um, someone who is either like holding a title or a space for DEI at your company, like organization, whatever that may be. For myself, I actually didn't go through any formal training, but that's because it started on my own journey of my own experiences that I was sharing that then grew into a form of education. And through there, that's really where my DEI like um, expertise took off. Um, but when it comes to more training and more of where my formal background 
background comes from. It's actually through my education because I minor in counseling. Uh, I also studied anthropology, education, basically all types of coursework that is people oriented uh, and all of it includes aspects of diversity, equity and inclusion. So for me, that was where I gained a lot of, of more of the like what the studies are showing a lot of that more formal bit. Um, but my experience has actually led me to be more of the conversationalist that I am around this space. So why don't you define DEI for mm -hmm. us before we jump in and get really, I'm all excited <laughs> to dive in, but let's back up for a second and throw out the definitions and maybe share with us like what all of these things mean. Absolutely. And it's such a good point because there's so many ways to interpret this. And I love to speak through it through my lens, uh, through the passion that made me like want to go through DEI or to just kind of work in the DEI space overall. And D, the D in DI stands for diversity, which is just the idea that, you know, we all have our own stories and those stories make up a large part of our identity. So when we're thinking about how we all come into work, into relationships, whatever that may be, we're coming as individuals first with this whole storybook of like who we are that happened before we interact with next person or next group of people we meet. Um, and so why diversity matters is because it's each individual story coming together and how we kind of bring these stories in a collective space. Uh, and that's where inclusion kind of comes in, which is the I and DEI, which is with all of these different stories, these beautiful stories, you know, I have, I always say to folks at Jane that, you know, we're the most cultural things on this planet. Um, inclusion is the idea that we get to learn through each other's different socio-cultural aspects and really get to like build an inclusive and welcoming environment that says, hey, that's your story. This is my story. And they're both welcome in this space. So that's how I kind of perceive and look at inclusion. Uh, and when we're talking about the E, I like to leave that one for last because I think of it kind of as like the glue between diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's the idea that uh, E stands for equity, which is the importance of fairness, not necessarily sameness. And that's super important because when you're considering if I want to make any space I invite people into inclusive, this welcoming warm space that is organically diverse, then I have to think about how I'm offering resources, tools, and like support through an equity driven lens. So sameness is for example, like you and I have the same job, we should get paid the same amount. Like that's a fair, that's like equal, right? Like we want to be equal in that aspect. We have equal skills. We should be paid fair or the same compensation, I should say. Um, but then I think of equity as fairness, where sometimes it's the idea that others need additional or alternative resources to have that same access. And that's fair doesn't have to be the same. And a really good day-to-day -day example is like, think of accessibility needs. Like when we're designing structures and new places to go, thinking of how we need to consider all the different forms of accessibility. Uh, and that is fairness, right? It's that, yes, able-bodied person might not need this tool or this resource, but someone with a different type of accessibility need might need that. So just super important to think about when fairness, at, aka equity, is like the really important part. And that's why it's so connected with diversity and inclusion. That's pretty huge, mm -hmm. actually, because that's not how I 
first of all, I've had, I, like mm. I said, I've not had a lot of conversations around mm. this. And so I'm really excited to hear this. Like equity, when I hear DEI, the way that you just described equity, and I think that's why mm. you describe it that way, is not how I envisioned mm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And and like you said, we all have different stories when we come to things and even definitions, right? And, and structure of words. So equity... I love that because we all don't come from the same places and have the same opportunities. And if you have a workplace, you should bolster everybody up so that they have fair opportunities to create the same accomplishments, right? Exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I really like the explanation of fair because that's that's pretty key. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like That's what stood out for me because I've really taken a big dive in the last few years in this content. And for me, like I had always had that same perception of like, well, sameness, you know, equality, that's what we're fighting for. And in some context, absolutely. Absolutely, we should all be treated the same in some contexts and things like that. But when it comes to like resources and support, that's why like, um, certain internship programs that like really uplift these uh, groups that are coming from marginalized backgrounds are so integral because it's already a group who might be five to 10 steps behind someone else. Um, so that's where I really started like, oh, I see where equity comes in and kind of how I perceive it now as well. Yeah. And I'm going to be, so in this conversation, I'm going to be really candid. Yeah. Um, I think that, th first of all, I just want to preface, like, it makes me really nervous mm -hmm. to talk about this mm -hmm. stuff. It makes me really nervous because I'm afraid that I'm going to say something wrong or something offensive or something hurtful and do it unintentionally. Mm -hmm. um, but this whole, I love this, this uh, definition of equity as, as um, sort of like, in my mind before, it would have been like, wait a minute, you have this person who had this upbringing and they have this job. And you have this person who had this upbringing and they have the same job, but or they want the same job, right? But, but this person over here did not have all of the opportunities mm -hmm. that this other person had. Mm -hmm. And standing in a place of obvious, like I'm a white woman, like I've had some more opportunities than perhaps other individuals. Um, when I hear equity, it's already like, well, the job opportunity is there. Like it's equal, mm -hmm. like, let's just both go for it. But that's not fair, mm -hmm. right? That's what I love about this conversation is that to help, to help this other person mm -hmm. get to uh, same baseline as you and go for this job, then that is fair, mm -hmm. right? And I think that a lot of people who have had so many opportunities, um, maybe a little irritated when all these other people seem to be getting uh, help mm -hmm. and opportunities and assistance. And I think that that's where we need to talk mm -hmm. because the thinking just needs to be changed, right? The, the processing in my head, like you just did, like needs to be changed. And you just did it with explaining that we're just trying to create a fair workspace for everybody so that everybody has the same opportunities or help they need to get to a certain mm -hmm. space. Does that sound, is this something that comes up? Like what I just said, is that part of the conversations that you end up having in Jane or when you're holding a workshop? Yeah, absolutely. And like everything you said, I think just further reinforces like 
so much value in these types of conversation because you're right it is super scary and it can be intimidating and also at times like when we're in a different stage of our learning journey we don't always see what's actually happening on the other side of the fence and so like you said you said it really great when you mentioned that you know sometimes i might perceive the same role and think like well we both have the option to apply to like get this job and like it's just based on your skills but there's so many layers to that and for myself um i share a lot from my own experience because i am biracial and so my father is jamaican immigrant my mother is italian um and for that i am seen as racially ambiguous so i've gotten to actually walk the world with different ways I am perceived and received from others. And that's what really made me see how, yes, the same rules on the table, but someone who perceives me this way because I'm a black woman might have a different idea of my ability to speak, to, you know, hold up a certain expectation of performance. Whereas in when I'm perceived another way, maybe a different race, a different kind of, you know, I'm articulate or whatever that might be, um, then there's more positive and there's a question of, why is there so much perception that um, plays a large role in these decisions at the end? So I think that was a really long way to get to my point of kind of talking about how, yes, there's sometimes same opportunities available. There's education that's available to all of us, but finances aren't available to all of us. Um, you have to apply for a lot of like bursaries, scholarships. You don't know if you're going to get in. Um, and all of that to say that there's all these like implicit things that are happening within each of us. We make judgments every day and it's not always intentionally harmful. And that's why it's so important to actually talk about these things because some people might not have known that I, as someone who is white passing, though I am biracial and though I'm seen as a black woman in my community, it doesn't mean I haven't seen the benefits of like my fairness and where colorism has played a large role. Uh, so that was a long-winded way to say, to kind of speak to that point. But I really do think that helps to just elaborate why the way we interact with everything, whether it's each other, applications, roles, whatever that might be, it all has many layers to it. So you were led to this or drawn to this because of your own challenges or your own visions or your own perceptions of things that have occurred in your yes. life. Do you mind sharing any of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a really open book because it is such a sensitive topic and it's something that people should be wanting, um, should be invited into. We shouldn't assume through others that like, oh, well, tell me about your experience as a minority, because you know what, it is hard. Um, and so I appreciate you asking, because truly, I think that's a really great first start in any DI conversation is like, do you have the capacity to have this conversation? And then it's like, yeah, I totally do. But I put myself in this role for the reason that it's hard and it's sometimes heavy and it can be really hard for people to have these conversations because i know for myself um i like have worked in a few areas where being black just wasn't a very like positive thing and it's really disheartening and it starts from even the way i speak so you know i definitely have a pattern of what's called code switching and it's this idea that i have to speak a certain way in front of certain groups or communities because I know I'm gonna be perceived better that way. And sometimes it's so like, it's such an autopilot practice for me, I don't even realize it till I'm like at the dinner table with my family and they're like, why do you sound like that right now? <laughs> like, 
what's going on? And I'm like, oh, nope, nope. And I just have to like resit with myself um, because there have been environments where, you know, I, I'm actually from the East Coast. Uh, for context, I'm uh, born and raised in a city outside of Toronto. So we have a very big, very predominant Black community out there. And so for me, like, I have a lot of, like, African-Canadian vernacular, right, where, you know, I speak a certain way. It's like a cultural thing for me. And actually in Toronto, a lot of our, like, slang or talk is Jamaican-derived. So it's, like, very connected to me and my my ancestry and my family. And so sometimes when I speak like that, you can see people, those looks, it starts with the looks, you know, kind of that look of judgment or like, why is this person at the table having this conversation with me? She doesn't sound articulate per se, or just like slight comments about, you know, my blackness or my identity that I'm just like, oh, like, wait a second. And I think an example of that is like, even sometimes in the way I dress, like I dress a very comfortable, very like certain style. And I remember I worked somewhere where that just was not accepted. Like I wasn't conforming to a certain like visual beauty standard that I like couldn't uphold. I'm very different looking uh, in comparison to like maybe a majority group. Um, and so for me, it was definitely hard because you go in there and you it starts with the look and then it starts with the way people treat you. And I think the hardest thing about these experiences is that it's not like an outward, like a very intentionally harmful practice. It's like these microaggressions, these little comments here about like, oh, you must be like spicy because you know, you're like where your background is. And I'm like, elaborate on that, please. What do you mean by that? I think I'm just spicy because that's my personality, not race related um, or just comments like that comments on my natural hair like can I touch your hair and I'm like at work I'm like I'm in the middle of any uh, like something here you know and uh this hasn't happened with my current experience which I'm eternally grateful for but it's just the idea that like I came with all of these stories so I could only imagine how many more stories there are in other groups with other identities. So that's definitely where I see it. Like these little micro kind of comments or looks or feelings that you kind of sense. I don't even know what to say. I'm just sort of speechless now because I, gosh, we, we were all raised so many mm -hmm. ways, right? And I think because maybe there just never has been really healthy conversations mm -hmm. about multicultural or even like I mean, I feel like we're finally starting to have them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and not even multicultural, but also LGBTQ mm -hmm. and, you know, all together. It, 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 first of all, it makes me sad that people suffer, mm -hmm. right? That this is a challenge. But I'm also grateful because mm -hmm. it, it, it brought you here to this conversation into a space where you can help that, that, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it's fascinating to me as a as a a white woman. I grew up in different places where there was a lot of mm -hmm. um there was actually a lot of mm, when I was in high school there was a lot of uh racism mm -hmm. and a lot of in the high school a couple of, well just in the area that I mm -hmm. lived and it was a very black and white community and there was a lot of just all sorts of stuff like gang related mm -hmm. That played a really big part, not in the fact that I feel like I grew up racist, but in a fact where I was like, there was so much tension, mm -hmm. racial tension back and forth. Mm -hmm. 
that it was it was it often felt unsafe to be white it felt unsafe probably to f- to be black mm-hmm. right like it felt unsafe for everybody in that situation mm-hmm. and it, i guess i could say this too mm-hmm. honestly too i was my family has a lot of racism mm-hmm. in it and so there's this like and i don't really have a lot to do with my family mm-hmm. right anymore but but that it was always in my upbringing mm-hmm. And I can't stand it. I do not like it. But it also makes me sort of like the words are in my head. Like there are words that that um, that just are part of the upbringing mm-hmm. that I feel like come out of my mouth sometimes, not as a race, racial slur mm-hmm. intentionally, but even just saying like we grew up saying we we're going to sit Indian style, mm-hmm. right? Yes stupid little stuff like that that stuff is ingrained in your brain from the time you're a child i guess my challenge my one of my biggest fears is what else is in there yes and i'm constantly doing this evaluation of what else is in there am i thinking with a very open mind am i thinking kindly am i thinking Mm -hmm. Um, in ways that are going to help other people and create opportunities where i've had opportunity you know like Anyway, I guess I'm just blah, 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 blahing, but like, this is really important to me. And I think that, it, that I'm not the only one that feels mm-hmm. this way. So I'm feeling? just so like, I personally am like very grateful for your vulnerability in saying that because that's where it starts with the idea that many of us have some form of bias, of conditioned thinking, of some pattern that like we need to be aware of to unlearn. And the more you repress it, in my opinion, at least, the more you repress it, the more you avoid it, the more it kind of festers there. And you're never going to be able to grow in that space until you actually like let that stuff come out because it's super important because there's no way for you to know what's right or wrong if you're not trying or practicing or seeing what you can do to expand the way you know you're speaking or thinking and things like that and it speaks to even like myself like there's so many biases that I probably have that I don't even know. Um, and that is a practice that I, I always try to kind of work through by elevating my self-awareness. And that's why, you know, I always say to people, like, if there's something you want to do to get in this space, the first thing is self-awareness. Find an activity, sit with yourself and journal, whatever that might be, and be real. Write on that paper everything you're thinking and feeling about going in and, you know, about yourself, about your identity, about the identities of others. It is a scary space to be in, but it is the first big step into like making this type of change. Um, And so that history, it lives with all of us. And these sayings, they do like, you know, it's so big in like corporate environments to say like, oh, let's meet up and have a powwow. I'm sure you've heard, right? <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before too. Aww. It is such common language. I've heard it in so many industries and no one is intentionally being harmful when they say it. Yet it's just wrong. It's not the right language, <laughs> right? And <laughs> sorry, maybe that's me being a little just like it's wrong. <laughs> but it's it's No, it is, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Like it yeah. makes me I feel nervous often. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't want something to come out of my mouth but you're right like sitting down and doing a true evaluation of my history and of my core beliefs Mm -hmm. and yeah maybe just even having forgiveness Mm -hmm. for my own family uh 
in that they're imperfect. And uh, yes, very good point. Yeah. Very good point. Go ahead. I was just going to add that like, and one of the ways I like to practice that is um, I once worked somewhere where they introduced something called the diversity wheel to us. And I wish I knew exactly like the origin of it, but if that's something of interest, like that, it highlights a lot of the elements of our identity that actually expands and describes our diversity. And a lot of these areas people don't even consider sometimes, like your educational background, like your finances, like your faith, those all actually count as aspects of your diversity. And so I personally, I've always loved looking at this wheel and journaling because then I'm like sitting with myself to see like, who am I as a cultural being? Like what's my individual story? Because like you, like I definitely have family members and friends that I have moved on from because I'm like, we do not see eye to eye. Uh, I have a certain like belief uh, in people in kindness. And I just have to draw boundaries sometimes with folks. And so doing that work with myself is hard sometimes because it does kind of um, bring back some of those more painful feelings. But if you're willing to learn, then there's room to grow. So tell us a little bit more about the diversity mm -hmm. wheel. Yeah. So there's like this wheel and it's written or drawn in two circles. And it's this idea that there is like an internal circle, which at times could be diversity we might not see. And that's not necessarily the case. I can't perceive all aspects of diversity, but that could be things like, um, I want to make sure I'm saying it in the right order, but race is like a big one. Like uh, maybe it could be gender identity, gender expression, maybe sex, things like that would be kind of considered um, in those fields. And there's like this external like wheel around it, which is a lot more of like the things that we might have um, either grown into or like absorbed through others. So that is our faith, our education, like all of those factors, uh, and that they all make up like these layers of our diversity as well. And that's why if you've heard of the topic of intersectionality, it's the idea that a lot of our identity intersects. And so you can't just say like, I have this one experience uh, that makes me diverse. And this is the sole reason why I experience the world this way. The reality is a lot of our like, aspects of the diversity wheel will intersect and impact the way we are treated and seen and like perceived in the world. And I kind of segue a little bit. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about what it is that you do with Jane. Yeah. So at Jane, I, it's, so it's a growing area for us. So it's currently in the stages of like learning. We're like absorbing a lot of info, seeing how we can grow DI as a program at Jane. But what I currently do is I help to facilitate all types of conversations in DI, whether that's internal or external as well. So for example, internally, I help to kind of coordinate a monthly DI meeting uh, that is like a learn and chat experience because um, similar to how you're feeling, Stacy, I always say that like we have to be accepting and vulnerable with one another to grow. Um, and that has to happen without judgment. So sometimes we're going to make critiques or comments that aren't right. Uh, and the worst thing I think we could do at times is just jump to a place of, you know, you're wrong without any other explanation. Some folks are in different stages of their learning journey. And so the whole point of that meeting is to actually get people together to say, 
okay, we're going to do this together. No matter what stage of your learning journey you're in, we're going to learn about this topic. And it could be a theme like specific to maybe like a topic that's coming up a lot that month, maybe a theme of the month. So for example, for February, we did like Black History Month. Uh, this month, we're going to do a focus on National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, which in Canada is a new Indigenous holiday in Canada, which is a really big deal. Um, and so those are just some examples, but we get together once a month to kind of have these conversations. Uh, and so that's one part of what I do. Um, the other is just helping to facilitate like things like language, whether that's internally, how we should speak to each other to create an inclusive space, how we practice inclusive language. So staying away from gender binaries, for example. So instead of saying, hey guys, you know, I try to say, hey everyone, hey y'all, whatever that might be. Kind of talking to our point earlier, Stacy, with like those small language things. Um, yeah. And I also help with like externally, like with the product, like what could we be thinking um, is really beneficial for Jane as an inclusive product? Um, are there language changes we could consider? Other features we could grow? One example of that is last year we released the pronouns feature and that was a super big deal. It was one of my favorite things to work on. I was so happy to be a part of that. Um, and so that's a lot of like what my work looks like on the inside as well. Uh, and then the last thing is just really getting everyone on board with like what we're doing. So we're looking to like really grow this area in Jane and do that by like, you know, assessing our own state. Like how are we as a company like um, treating each other, treating everyone in terms of inclusion and I'm I've always said I'm so grateful for how inclusive the Jane team is, but being more out loud about it. Like, what do we need to call out for? Like, is do we need to be more inclusive in more ways and things like that? So that's kind of where, where I step in and I help as well. I think it's a like perpetual questions of um, exactly that. Like, what's next? Where do where do we need to focus mm -hmm. next? What can we help next? I love the product. I love the the pronouns. Um we also as practitioners have to consider all of these things as well you know we have we have patients who are completely everybody mm -hmm. <laughs> i have no better way to say it but just everybody mm -hmm. you know and so we always need to be able to especially with the software like having that on mm -hmm. the intake is like it's sort of like you know your first impression yes. And so you're allowing people to feel safe from the very beginning with that question, right? Yes, exactly. Can you talk a little bit about safety? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about creating a safe space? Because what you, what I just heard when you were telling me about what it is that you're doing mm -hmm. with Jane is that you're creating a safe mm -hmm. space for these conversations, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes you you might have something occur with a with a coworker. But to say something about it, how it, it came across to you or be vulnerable mm -hmm. in that position or, you know, say, hey, you just hurt me. And by the way, that was a racial mm -hmm. slang that you just and that's not OK. Sometimes that can create even more tension in the mm -hmm. workplace. Right. Mm -hmm. So having a safe space. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to a work environment, 
Um, the way I describe myself in DI overall is I actually say, like, imagine DI as a ship. Like, you can think of me as the captain. Like, I'm steering the wheel and maybe I'm totally talking to old school of a ship. But even though I'm steering the wheel and I'm leading these conversations, it takes a whole team to keep a ship afloat. And everyone has a responsibility to create a safe space. So I just have maybe more knowledge, I say, in, like, sharing some of how, like, these things work or how we could create more inclusivity and why I mention all of that is because creating a safe space starts with everyone. So for me, the reason I actually have built this sense of trust and environment is honestly because of how much Ali and Trevor are passionate about this space as well. I, someone myself being a minority, I've never seen that before. And so it was really, really encouraging to see two co-CEOs who are passionate about their people like get excited to hear about people talking about these uncomfortable conversations, like excited in the way that like they want people to grow like this. And that's where it starts there as well too. So it starts with everyone, especially those with the most power. If there's anyone around you in this environment that has power or authority or whatever that might be, it takes them saying like, I'm into this, like I want to hear this and learn too. And then others start to really follow. They start to see that and they start to learn through that influence. And so that's one part of creating that safety because it starts with those folks. And if they're not in, everyone else is going to have a hard time feeling safe. No one's going to really feel like they can trust anyone or share their thoughts openly. So I'm really grateful we have that team dynamic. Um, and then when it comes to my conversations, you brought up a great example, like, you know, it like, what if something happens at work or even in my own personal life, this happens all the time. It's truly coming from a place of, um, I like to say, I'm very passionate about education. And so if you want someone to learn something and you have the capacity, teach them in that moment or find someone who can and that someone could be me so for example if someone uses language that maybe isn't the most inclusive i'll just call in i'll call them you know i'll speak to them one-on-one -on -one and just say hey i noticed you said this i just wanted you to know a little bit of the history of it and why it's not a word i would use how are you feeling about that do you want to like learn more do you have questions like what's going on and that is something that I step into because I don't think others necessarily should when they're hurt. It's all based on really nonviolent, really kind, mm -hmm. open-hearted communication. And when you're hurt in a moment, you should not be talking, speaking from that space, mm -hmm. right? Um, okay to say I'm not okay with what you just yes. said, but probably not okay to continue to have a conversation about it until mm -hmm. you're right again, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, especially like it's it's really important that you feel safe in sharing that. So I I think it's um I like to say like our emotions are still a valuable reaction. So anger, frustration. Absolutely. And so there's I there's nothing wrong with feeling those feelings. Like to anyone who's hearing this, it's if you feel hurt, you are hurt and that's okay. And then it's a question though of do I have the capacity as someone who's hurt to have this conversation or do I even want to educate someone right now because I feel hurt and I don't want to have to do that. That's more of my emotional energy that I'm not ready yeah. to commit right now. So I act as kind of like that person who can help carry that because sometimes these conversations can be really hard. And since you have a clinical background, that's you're perfect for it, right? <laughs> like, and it probably also cracks open the door to having an understanding 
hopefully that person has the capacity to self-evaluate and be like, oh, why do I want to hurt that person? Mm -hmm. Or I was just ignorant in that word, Mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm educated and I have a choice. Mm -hmm. But um, I love the fact... uh, I really, on the podcast, I've talked a lot about um, the wounded healer archetype Mm -hmm. and how we are actually, um, even just as healthcare providers, Mm -hmm. um, often here to help the people who hurt people. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, that is very, very important. And often as um, people who have been hurt, we tend to attract those people into our space. Mm -hmm. And so they will show up in your practice and to have the capacity to, and the maturity to have worked through your own stuff to be able to sit with somebody Mm -hmm. who is really hurting other people because they hurt. Mm That is pinnacle Mm -hmm. for a practitioner, Mm -hmm. right? That's a lot of work. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how we can bring this into our practice. Mm. Are there some things to think about when we are trying to create a really inclusive, safe space Mm. for our patients? Mm -hmm. Where should we put our energy? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. And so it kind of ties back to my point earlier that I think it always starts with self. If you can't see yourself as a cultural being and you can't necessarily understand the way the world perceives you and how that benefits you or harms you, then it's hard to perceive that in others as well. Um, And so it really does start with the self. And, you know, in um, counseling courses, this is a really big practice of like being reflective. Uh, It's super important because it is hard to help people and to be genuine and empathetic when you're kind of closed off yourself when you're not doing the deep deep work within yourself, but then expecting someone else to, or to easily understand someone else's story. So really the first step is starting with yourself, like sitting with your story and saying, okay, how has the world favored me? And how has the world isolated me? And then empathizing with that. And so second to that would be practicing that empathy whether that's through practicing difficult conversations, looking up resources, however you might learn best. But in DI, the biggest tool is always going to be empathy because you cannot say that you've had the same experience as someone else all the time. And even when we have similar experiences, sometimes there's still some differences. So empathy is that driving factor as a practitioner to say people have different stories and different resistances maybe to even coming into your practice you know as a black woman being mistreated is a very common thing and so we're often like we wait too long to go get care because we just know we're going to be seen or treated differently uh and so when you think of something like that recognizing that when uh, a black woman for example or a person of color walks in thinking like they might have taken extra steps to even get here today And that might have taken some personal courage, maybe some like other resources, whatever that might be. And just recognizing, you know, how you can be inviting to them, which is through things like your language. So you're welcome, like, you know, like getting to know them and like getting connected with your your clients. And so I would say that's like a really good starting point. And I think that I mean, acupuncturists, we usually spend, not all of us, but usually like in that first visit is like 75 to 90 Mm -hmm. minutes of just talking, Mm -hmm. right? Like super in-depth interview, which gives the opportunity for connection Mm -hmm. in that way. Is there anything that we need to consider like in our office space? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else Mm -hmm. that we're missing? 
that would really help create a safer space or better communication? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I think this your space matters. Like how you decorate it matters, right? Uh, like if I was to go into practice, for example, and let's say there's like tons of images um, of maybe certain, like I'm trying to think like certain... I'm trying to think of like a good example, like maybe a certain person or group of people, let's say, for example, like you're a counselor and there's like tons of white men on the, the wall, like these white educators, which is not a bad thing to say. But recognizing how I as a black woman would come in that space, see my counselor as a black man, uh, sorry, as a white man and white photos all around that could feel overwhelming for me. I could be building my own biases. I could be feeling a little bit more, you know, like maybe this isn't the space for me. And ironically, the space around you matters so much. And so um, that's not to say that you shouldn't put photos up (laughs) and things like that, but rather like recognize how the types of photos you put up, the decor you put out there actually has a really big part of your space's story and how people are going to perceive that space when they walk in. Uh, And so I know we're not necessarily talking about counseling in here, but I just thought of that example from like other experiences I've heard as well. No, I think it's, it's a, it's a a very fair, it's very fair because when you walk in oftentimes to like Western medicine, Mm -hmm. for example, like I just had to have physical therapy on my wrist for a while because I broke it and they have all the pictures of all the practitioners. Mm. Right. And I live in a very white forward community. Mm. So it's almost like there's only like three out of 20 Mm. people that are not white. Mm -hmm. And that, that is a, you're right. That's perhaps not the image that you want to be putting up there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like in your case too, it's, it's like, that question of how do we diversify our own community then as well too, so that the pictures we get to put up are these like really yeah. like different types of people. And so I appreciate yeah. you saying that because it is true. It's like, you know, at what type of people are walking through the door and how might they perceive that? And do they feel like they could share with you like these more sensitive details? Like, yeah, you know, I do belong to the LGBTQ plus community or whatever that might yeah. be. So I, it's something I learned recently in my undergrad. And so I was shocked because I didn't really think of that ever until it came up in conversation. Uh, and I was like, that's true. <laughs> like what I see matters. So, well, yeah, well, it's almost like, you know, um, you're so enmeshed in it that you don't even realize like, oh, wait, and this is why I'm always nervous Mm -hmm. because I'm always like, gosh, what do I not know? Mm -hmm. And that would have been something that, I mean, I can see pictures on walls of every single doctor's office, like or practice of all of them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, it's not even necessary. Is Mm -hmm. it really Mm -hmm. that necessary? Mm -hmm. That's a fascinating point. Is there some way um, something on the website mm-hmm. or something that you're, that you're a friendly, like you want all cultures to come see you. You want to make sure that people know somehow that they're going to be safe coming to your office. Yeah, doing that. That's such a good question. Cause I would actually put some form of welcome on my online booking site. So I would want that information somewhere, whether it's like in my personal website, like my about area or in Jane, in your online booking site, you can put like a message at the top. And if that's what you're using as your website, I would put it there. And what I would 
would do is just say like, you know, um, at my practice, like I'm a practice who is actively looking to create an inclusive, welcoming environment, who is continuing to grow in this space to provide you with like your diverse care needs. And something like that acts as a green flag and other language things. Like, for example, we've had these conversations at Jane as well, too, like how important the pronouns feature is for signaling to others. Like if I have pronouns, I'm saying like, I recognize your diversity, that you might come in with gender identity uh, that maybe you didn't know you could feel safe enough to share with me or um, sexual orientation that you didn't know you could share with me. And so features like this act as like green flags as well. And thinking about the language, staying away from things like these gender binaries or recognizing how language has such a big impact. So what you say really can influence someone's ability to perceive how inclusive you are as a practice. So that's, I would just put it right out there. That's what I would do. <laughs> just say <Yeah>. it. Just <laughs> say it. Just say it. I think just again, remembering like how you introduce yourself to someone as well, just like being warm, you know, making people feel like they can lean on you or like trust you in your practice. Um, and that's just like saying like, hey, tell me your story, like whatever that might be as you're going through your like initial appointments and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, just like being super warm, which you are, and I know everyone means to be as well. And so sure. just keeping that like real connection there is super important. Do you have resources for practitioners? Uh, so this one is a bit, it's such a large area that you can like look at so many areas. And one thing I always like to encourage people is like start with something you want to learn more about because it's a big pot of content yeah. and so if you try to dive right into the topic it's you're gone too far start with one thing you want to learn about is that like racism in your local area or is there an aspect of identity you want to explore um, and then from there see what type of I like to say check your local like colleges and universities a lot of the time they might be offering free programs either online mm -hmm. or in person so give a quick google go ahead and search like you know free courses on indigenous communities like see if any of those are available in your area uh, and that's a really great way to start getting accessible coursework um, and so that's one <laughs> resource that you could look into some more specific ones um, especially because we were talking a lot about race today one that i really like is how to be an anti-racist it's a novel it's a really great book uh, have you gotten to read it Okay. No, no, but I've heard okay. of it. So that's, that's good. It's on my, it's on my read yes, list. And it's one that our team has read as well too. And it's one that I'd recommend as a great starting point um, into that conversation. And YouTube, I know it's like, <laughs> I know it sounds silly to say, but truly I have had so much growth because of YouTube, because the ability to just search a topic and expand my knowledge on it is so useful. And specifically, I listen to a lot of TED Talks. And the reason I do that is because if you're someone who's looking to learn more, this is a great way to drive your empathy because a lot of these talks are talking through many dimensions of DEI. They're talking about their personal experience, their studies, like what the stats are saying. But then there's also those like 
their story behind all of it that's super important to understand and so i would highly recommend ted talks dive into those and expand there's so many different topics not only race identity things like unconscious bias and things like that so definitely recommend resources like that and the last one that i really like as like a really easy starting point is signing up for what's called the better allies newsletter uh better allies this is great great place um it's uh, like a newsletter that gets sent to you every week with like five actions that you can commit to uh, and it explores different things and it gives you tons of free resources which is super cool um so i highly recommend signing up for better allies great topics to explore in there and I'll put all of that mm. in the show notes for you guys. So you can access all of this information. I love the idea of TEDx. Mm. I love TEDx. Mm. And I have, I mean, I will just go through TEDx after yeah. TEDx when I'm cooking. <laughs> like I love all of the learning and the eye-opening mm -hmm. experiences with TEDx. So that was, that was a great one. I would, I, and I wouldn't have thought mm. to go there. I don't know why, but so thank you for that. Thank you. So one last thing, and I, this is a little bit off topic, okay. um, but this podcast is dedicated to practitioners who are either sort of just coming out of school and starting a practice, um, or practitioners who are who have worked for somebody and then are going to go ahead and start their own practice. But there's just more of like this transition challenge. Mm -hmm. And I know that a large amount of us coming out of school have imposter syndrome. Mm. So I'm wondering... If Kiki Toth has ever had imposter syndrome. Yes, all the time. It is it is hard. You especially now being in, in this seat where I'm, you know, speaking about DI, I have fought for this for so long that when I got it, I was like stunted. I was like, I couldn't believe it was this easy to do this at chain. And it was truly a moment of like gratitude, but then also this feeling of like, but what if I'm not the right person? Or maybe I'm doing yeah. the wrong thing, or maybe I'm going to take us like, you know, the wrong way. And the thing with imposter syndrome is that it's you talking to you. People around you have chosen you, have brought this on to you, or you are the person kind of building your own practice. And so it's your self-talk. You have to sit with yourself and say, no, I worked hard. I did the studying. I did the practicing. I know I'm good at this. I maybe I'll take time to be an expert at this, but I'm good at this and I belong here because I did the work. And that's something that I know I always remind myself. And especially if you're someone who is marginalized, like it is tricky. You often feel out of place. You're looking at a table and you're like, I'm the odd man out. And that feels even more isolating. So it's really just sitting with yourself to remind yourself that you are worthy and you deserve to be here. Otherwise you wouldn't be there. So that's, that's really what I've worked through with my imposter syndrome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was like probably my most favorite answer that anybody has given for that. It was, well, because of course you gave an action step, right? Like a true counselor, but, but too, like, but it is too, like my eyes are watering. Cause I'm like, yes, that's exactly it. That's so it. And we all experience mm -hmm. it. And it's just a matter of just keep going, yes. keep moving forward, learn how to talk to yourself kinder. Don't compare yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Keep going, keep going and keep growing. So. I love that. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we close? I think the last thing is that for those who might feel scared or even intimidated by the amount of learning that is in this area, be brave and take the step. That's the best advice I could give. You're going to get some things wrong and that's okay. Hold yourself accountable to those wrongs. Call yourself out when those moments happen and grow from them. You'll do great things. That's all I want to say. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think that's so fair too, because no matter if you're not doing things incorrectly, if you're not Mm -hmm. making mistakes, then you're not growing and you're not trying, right? Like you're right. Just, and I'm in now too. I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm going to go face all of my stories Mm -hmm. and all of my backup, my background and all of my crappy epigenetics and, and, uh, move forward with it. (laughs) So Thank you so much for coming on, Kiki. Thanks to Jane for uh, sponsoring this uh, podcast. I truly appreciate it. It's been a complete joy to have you with me. Thank you so much. It's been so good being here and so nice to talk to you today, Stacey. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.